0: And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom and Mine. I'm perinatal psychologist and host, Dr. Kat. There's more to the story than just postpartum depression, and this podcast aims to share it all. From personal stories and lived experience to experts who break down the ups and downs of life from getting pregnant, pregnancy, perinatal loss, and postpartum adjustment to parenthood. While this is not psychotherapy or medical advice, it is all of the stuff you ever wanted to know about mental health and new parenthood. Welcome to Mom in Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. I'm really excited to bring you this interview today with my friend and colleague, Avril or Apple Sepulveda. I've known her for some time now, and I've been really interested in bringing her on the podcast to talk about the work she does as a board certified pediatric occupational therapist with over 20 years of experience. Now, a lot of people don't know exactly what an occupational therapist does, but if you've had a child who has any kind of speech or feeding issues or has needed the help of an occupational therapist, then you know some of the amazing work that occupational therapists do in helping children. Apple is going to be sharing with us her integrated perspective and understanding of what it's like for struggling parents who are receiving early intervention for their children when they themselves might be dealing with depression and anxiety. She's also going to talk a little bit about maternal and infant mental health in early integration. In addition to being a board-certified pediatric occupational therapist, she is also an IBCLC. She spent most of her career in pediatrics at Children's Hospital in Metro LA area, where she specializes in infant feeding and swallowing and infant development. She also holds the AOTA specialty certification in feeding, eating, and swallowing. While she already has a doctorate in occupational therapy, she is also earning her PhD in translational health sciences at George Washington University. Within her clinical areas of expertise, she does occupational therapy interventions on infant development and feeding, pediatric feeding and swallowing, in medically complex children, sensory processing, lactation, and maternal and infant mental health. She received a fellowship from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation Clinical Scholars Program from 2016 to 2019, including grant funding for community-based participatory research to address mental health disparities among Filipino immigrants through parenting programs. Dr. Sepulveda co-founded Nurture Collective to address the gaps in early intervention practice. Her vision for Nurture Collective is to integrate parental mental health in early intervention for children at risk for developmental delays. And again, for those of you who are parents who are also trying to support their children who may have developmental delays or who may have feeding or eating challenges in their early development, you know that this impacts your mental health. It is stressful. This work is so important to be in consideration together. Unfortunately, a lot of our medical systems are still a little too siloed where, you know, one person deals with what's going on with the child and somebody else may or may not be supporting the parent through their own process. But the reality is, is this is a system and the parent's mental health is also impacted When they're under so much stress, let alone the concern they have for the development of their child, I'm really excited for you guys to listen into this conversation. So let's meet Dr. Apple Sepulveda. Welcome, Apple. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you
1: for having me.
0: Yeah, our discussion has, we've talked about it for, I don't know, some time now to have you come on and share what you do. I'm so Interested in what you do and admire all of your work. And so I, I would love to for people to understand a little bit about what occupational therapy is and infant feeding and how that interacts with infant mental health and maternal mental health. but first, I'd love to know what brought you into this work.
1: Yes, it was a few years ago when I met this this baby that I've been seeing. Let's call him John. Mm-hmm. John came to me through a referral through a pediatrician at my previous workplace at a freestanding pediatric children's hospital. And I, this was referred to me because John had feeding difficulties, failure to thrive, mm-hmm. not taking the bottle. Mm-hmm. And they, and mom is very, very stressed because mm-hmm. imagine if you can't feed your child, mm-hmm. uh, it could be very, very stressful. Yeah. Yeah. And while I was working with John, over time, I recognized that the mom was depressed, right? The mom Mm -hmm. was aloof, the mom was withdrawn. Mm -hmm. And I kept thinking to myself, like, am I an effective therapist for John if I'm not able to help this mom, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So over time... I didn't know what to do. I didn't have any tools to support the mom, nor Mm -hmm. do I have any talking points to talk Mm -hmm. about it. And I was scared to talk about it and and hear what she has to say and not knowing what to do. Mm -hmm. And so eventually they stopped coming to therapy services and I didn't know, know what happened. But as I saw a lot of John's in my clinic, or in that practice that I was in, I thought to myself, there has to be something that's got to be done, right? I can't yeah. help babies if I can't help moms. Mm. And so as I I start looking, when you start looking at it, you will really yeah. see it. Right, I've right. seen a lot of moms who are hypervigilant about their baby's development. Yeah. Oh, is my child eating enough? Right. My child is in the NICU, and they were they we were pushing for feeding so that we can be discharged from the NICU. Is this enough food for my child? Is that okay? Can I feed my child with pre-raise? Can I progress? Can I feed them carrots this time? Last time we had applesauce, and a lot of these anxiety that I keep hearing from moms, and I thought to myself, and there's also moms who don't sleep at night; they just watch their babies sleep and because they fear that their baby will stop breathing. Mm-hmm. I have other moms who is in the ER a lot once a week and keep on missing appointments because they're taking their kids to the ER because they're afraid mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. their baby will stop breathing. And when I think about it, it is the trauma that they had experienced in the NICU. And I thought to myself, wow, I should be helping these moms. Mm. But at that time when there was very, very little awareness on maternal mental health disorders or perinatal mental health disorders, I couldn't find help within that freestanding children's hospital. Mm. I talked to a few leaders in within that in that space and we were brainstorming about, oh, but the child is our patient and not the Mm -hmm. mom's. Where will we chart something about the mom's when the chart belongs to the child, when our payer is the child's insurance and not the mom's? And I thought, oh my goodness, this is a huge systemic issue. And so then I went out of the organization and really volunteered my time in nonprofit organizations to really learn about the systems that are involved in helping moms and babies and to recognize that it's very broken. It's Mm -hmm. very broken. So, And that's how I really came about that work. And now I'm very, very dedicated to helping moms of children. With who are at risk for developmental delays and developmental disabilities, because these are the kids that we see post NICU graduates mm-hmm. um, that may have complex medical issues or kids with special needs.
0: Yeah, well, I thank you for for that perspective. It is once you start scratching the surface a little bit and seeing how disjointed and siloed all of care is, it's a huge issue and overwhelming for those who want to try and fix it because you're working against really a, a lot of bureaucracy and the way things have always been done. So I, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot more to say about that. And I'd like to, to hear a little bit more in just a moment. Before we get into this a little bit more deeply, can you explain a little bit about what occupational therapy is and what an infant feeding specialist would be helping with? Just so that people who are new to this can kind of ha- have the context.
1: So, occupational therapy is a very broad term. That we we like to think of ourselves as we are helping people do the activities that are meaningful to them, which is their jobs or occupations. And and for babies, their occupations is really to thrive, eat, develop, you know, and play, you know. So. As an occupational therapist for babies, I have this specialized this specialty in infant feeding. So what I do is that I, I see babies with feeding difficulties, a lot of them from the NICUs either. They have suck, swallow, breathing difficult, like pattern, suck, swallow, this information problems with related to feeding either the bottle or the breast, I'm a lactation, IBCLC as well. I have I see babies with failure to thrive issues, a lot of kids with reflux or difficulty feeding, picky eating, a lot of kids that have motor problems in the mouth, Mm. that maybe tongue tie, for example, or just difficulty latching, I see them A lot of the kids with complex diagnoses, Down syndrome babies, kids with genetic syndromes that are wanting to feed by mouth. I do a lot of transition from G-tube gastrostomy tube feeding to oral feeding for all Mm -hmm. these kids who have been discharged from the NICU or from the hospital with a tube Mm -hmm. feeding and are not ready to feed by mouth just yet. Mm -hmm. So that's, and and on top of that, I use a developmental perspective, like also looking at where they are in their developmental milestone, physical milestones, and Mm -hmm. also adaptive skills and and all these other skills that a child needs to have Mm -hmm. to be able to develop and thrive.
0: That sounds like quite a range from, I guess, on a scale of kind of more, intensive treatment or more complex treatment and more, I guess, relatively more mild things like meaning things that might resolve more quickly, mm-hmm. or that they could progress more quickly, potentially? Yes.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it could be as mild as a child having tongue tie problems, mm-hmm. and getting him that is causing motor problems within the sucking mechanism and the use of the tongue for moms who are breastfeeding. So Mm -hmm. it could be as as mild as that to more complex where this child is receiving Mm -hmm. all the nutrition to a tube and then getting them to feed by mouth because they have swallowing problems. They have problems swallowing the the, uh, liquids, for example, because Mm -hmm. it goes through their lungs. You know, so those are the the range of things that I see hmm Okay.
0: Yeah, that, that's quite a lot. Quite a big range. This podcast is supported by Posh Peanut. Raising a family can be tough, as we know, and it can also be amazing and beautiful. Posh Peanut gets it, which is why they make beautiful, soft clothing that is tough enough to withstand all of the rough and tumble of childhood, and they have sizing for parents as well. You could even get matching clothing for the whole family. Made from viscose from bamboo, the clothes stretch with your kid as they grow and are four times stretchier than cotton. These clothes are made to last, loved by parents, and approved by kids. Posh Peanut makes thoughtfully crafted, beautiful, and stylish clothing for kids and families designed in-house, from beautiful florals to your favorite brands such as Hot Wheels, Disney, Hello Kitty, and Barbie. It's also breathable and chemical-free, which means they're delicate on sensitive skin. So I got my Posh Peanut loungewear, and I've been putting it on, especially after my long client days, because I need the instant comfort and relaxation. It's one of the ways that I do my self-care, because the soft, stretchy fabric of the Posh Peanut loungewear is really comforting to me. Right now, Posh Peanut is offering our listeners 20% off your first order with promo code MIND. Go to poshpeanut.com slash MIND and use promo code MIND for 20% off your first order. That's poshpeanut.com slash mind, promo code mind. No one told us the truth about parenthood.
2: Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.
0: So it sounds like you could be involved very early on, but I assume that some people are coming to you a little bit later, like with things that have been going on for a little bit longer, like people who may not have or whose doctors maybe didn't catch a a tongue tie or something like that, and they're, they're coming in a bit later. Mm-hmm. And that makes me wonder, like at any point during this, either whether it's early or later on, the parent is, is as you mentioned before, pretty stressed out, I assume. Maybe not always with a, a clinical diagnosis of depression or anxiety. Mm-hmm. Maybe they do, but certainly they're probably always stressed out. I mean, their, their child is, is having difficulty.
1: Yes, and I could. When you asked that question, I thought about the mom that I saw the other day, who has a one-month-old whose child has difficulty feeding with the bottle and the mm-hmm. breast, and mm-hmm. and the feeding times are an hour, right? And the mm-hmm. child sleeps and eats, sleeps and eats, and and. And that's so stressful for the mom because they have to wake up every hour to to feed the baby. And imagine if you lose sleep and stress, and you're so stressed out. Oh my goodness, am I am I a bad mom because I can't feed my child? Mm. Is what kind of a mom I am? When the feeding is like what I can give to the child, and I'm not doing it, or even if if. In the lactation world, right? Like, I can't breastfeed. Am I a good mom? Gosh. Those are the things that that really needs with the moms. Plus, you take into account they don't sleep, you know, that stress of a crying baby all the time because the baby's hungry, right? Mm-hmm. And those, you try so hard to to feed the baby, yet they're not taking enough. It could be very, very stressful for moms.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I wonder how, just kind of as an aside, but I also think it's important, how often do you see like, the, the primary caregiver coming in with a partner or a family member or somebody who's there to support the parent? Who's, who's like the, the primary in this situation? How often are you seeing support people come in?
1: I think 50% of the time. Fifty percent of the time I have support. I also do screenings as part of my other hat because I'm so dedicated to this awareness. I We screen moms with feeding problems or moms and babies with feeding problems at the pediatrician's clinic here in L.A. And for those who are in Medi-Cal who may not get like immediate lactation support right away, but also and who may not be screened by in the hospital for postpartum depression so mm-hmm. we we screen moms and I, i'm happy to say that about 50% of the moms there are have support partners so I, it's actually better now than it was before okay yeah i mean honestly i don't know what this says
0: about my thought process but that's higher than i would expect but and primarily because often the the what i am seeing is the there's a primary caregiver. And then if they are partnered, the other partner is working outside of the house or doesn't have can't take off time from work or anything Mm -hmm. like that to come in.
1: Yeah, to your point, though, that that number is for newborns, like within the first two months, they're there. But as they get older, in the early intervention system that we see, usually mothers are the primary caregivers, Mm -hmm. or even grandparents, you know, Mm -hmm. who are Mm -hmm. taking care of the kids. And, and that's, yeah, you're, you're right about that. And which also speaks to their parents are there, because they have 12 weeks of maternity leave. Mm -hmm. And then afterwards, they have to go back to work that could also that Mm -hmm. actually is a big trigger for the parents that I see as well, when they have to go back to work. Mm -hmm. Oh, right. And that's, for I
0: mean I know California were pretty rich in the sense that we have a, a decent enough for now family leave system but that's just not the case in a lot of the country yeah um, uh, where where people don't have that support or can't even take the time off to go to appointments for their yeah. child really
1: And really. that's a big challenge yeah yeah that's a big challenge because not only that like If you have a child with complex needs, like the kids that we see, they see a lot of specialists, cardiologists, monologists, if they have lung problems from the NICU, and considering the moms have to work eight-hour jobs, take time off to take their kids to these specialty appointments, and they have to go to therapy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy once a week, that's a lot to deal with for parents, you know, yeah. uh, even navigating. And a lot of them too don't have a lot of resources to navigate that the very, very complicated healthcare system. Yeah. Right. So I mean,
0: I, I think it's true that for the most part, when there's when there are that many details to attend to, the capacity or the ability to do any kind of like self-care, take care of Yourself as the primary caregiver goes way down the list, if not even at all on the list. So if you're if you're talking to a parent who's dealing with if you're screening for postpartum depression and things like that, it just makes me wonder how hard of is it for that parent to go get the help they need while they're also going to all of these appointments.
1: Right, right, yeah. And so that's why for us, it's important that we screen moms for for depression right or even dads too and and see how we can help them so we what what we do at nurture collective and this is the practice that i have created that will sort of resemble what I think will help these moms. It's not perfect because the system, we are going against the system. Mm-hmm. But what we do is we screen moms for postpartum depression and connect them with our community-based organization that could help them link to therapy services or even get them some moms who need housing, child care, connect them to fresh services and all these other things that will help alleviate them from the stresses. We some moms even get concrete support. Like I had a mom who was so stressed that they won't have enough money to pay rent. And, and one of our community-based organizations just helped them with two months rent to help them catch up. You know, so mm-hmm. there are some, we we also do like through another partnership that we have that we provide parenting classes, support groups, really, really yeah. getting moms together, and, and really getting them to make them feel that they're not alone, and get like support from other moms. So those are the things that we piecemeal, our therapists also are trained in PSIs, perinatal mental health. To core component scores. So they are aware Mm -hmm. of the struggles. Mm -hmm. And then some of us are trained in infant. Yeah. And then in also infant mental health relationship based approach to really empower or help moms know that, you know, they are the perfect parent for their children, and even have some talking points to enrich the parent-child relationship and improve the parent-child engagement. Even though it's hard that they are suffering from all these anxieties and thoughts and and feelings. Yes, well, that those, that those is, are the struggles that we do.
0: Yeah, I mean that that sounds really integrative, and and thinking of all of the ways in which mental health are impacted not even yeah just what they're dealing with directly with their child's feeding or their own mental health but in many ways resources financial resources food resources other types of support having at enough diapers all, all of these things are all part of mental health and it sounds like you're trying to address again going back to the the systems you're you're trying to address the ways in which the systems that the mom or parent and baby are still in are are further impacting their mental health. So just just for instance, those two months of rent, how much of a stress relief is that? That's massive.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and you know what? Also, we try to incorporate is the family centered care model in our early intervention work, we really focus on like routines that the families are are dealing with every day. Just say for an example that I can think of is that I have a mom who has been depressed, you know, who's, who is depressed, who has anxiety, is getting therapy. And I've been trying to work on her child with feeding, right? This child is just not eating a lot. And so we're working on it. And and so when I started talking to the mom, she says that she's only eating once a day at four o'clock in the afternoon after all the work is done. Mm-hmm. And I said, wow, wow, I've been trying to talk to you about routines, in which feeding is, is important, but that isn't only for the child, but it's for yourself too. And so I said, on our next session, you will prepare a meal for yourself and the child. It doesn't have to be a different meal. It, has, it can be the same meal because these children really want to eat what you're eating. They don't want to eat something in the jar while you're eating something else. And and in that moment, I, I just really had to walk her through that process when she prepared a, a healthy meal for herself and gave some for the child in, in the way that is child appropriate. And she was able to eat. And then the next few days, she was very thankful. She's like, oh, my goodness, I haven't had breakfast in the longest time. And I just needed you to walk me through that.
0: Yeah. So I assume you're going in home then.
1: Mm -hmm. Some of our clients are in home. Some are clinic based. Okay, that's great. And it's so nice when you can
0: go and do the home visit and be in their environment, too. I mean, I'm sure there's the benefits to both, but for this particular example, I, you're speaking to the depth of stress that a parent is is feeling too. I mean, just in that dynamic, there's not enough time mm-hmm. or awareness or maybe even sometimes just capacity to to think beyond what the baby needs because there's so much stress about making sure the baby's okay. And with anxiety in particular, well, depression too and trauma too. So any kind of mental health stuff, it is, it is really hard to break that and, and step outside of what is happening immediately and, and think more broadly about your own family system or what your own needs are. Because the stress, especially if somebody's the primary caregiver's home alone, it's all on them. It's all on them yeah. to make sure. So I, I want to go back quickly to what you said about infant mental health. How how does infant mental health impact or, or show up in, in the dynamic with the with what, what the baby is dealing with? Does that make so sense? So
1: infant well? me- yeah, infant mental health is a field that's growing mm-hmm. and it really pertains to the environment that the child is in. Right. So it 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 pertains to the mental health of the child is shaped by the experiences that the child is in. Or So imagine if the mom is depressed and the mom cannot engage with the child. So a lot of these babies who can't speak about their needs, it's about reading their cues. Are they hungry? Are, is they wet? Do they need stimulation? And if a mom is depressed or they may have struggles in in reading their child's cues. And when the child's cues are not listened to, are, 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 are not if there's no serve and return, then then it impacts the mental health and the social emotional development of the child as the child grows up so that is why this is very 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 important and and it's a studies indicate that m- this maternal and infant mental health is like the pillar to like long term health outcomes right uh-huh. i just even if you talk about like the resilience and the coping mechanisms of the child or even child with children with especially those kids with developmental disabilities, behavioral problems and even speech difficulties. They have have a lot And studies after studies have already have shown that. Mm-hmm. I mean, to your point, some depressed
0: parents are withdrawn and yeah. some aren't, but also some anxious parents are really really hypervigilant and very like, how can I describe it? Like over-interpreting what's mm-hmm. going on with their child. So they might be doing more than they need or more than what the, the baby needs as well. Like it can, I mean, that can happen with depression too, but exactly. they're, they're and, and this is difficult because for the, for the parents who are dealing with the perinatal mental health condition, they already feel bad about how they feel and how how potentially they feel towards their child and to learn what you're describing that the social and emotional health of their child in large it can in large part be supported by good mental health or the mental health of the parent
1: mm-hmm. it
0: also feel yeah. like a massive like burden for some parents like it's all on me to fix this and i need help too
1: Yeah. I mean, to your point, I've seen these moms a lot. They always come to the clinic and say, I have this app. And it tells me that this is what my child should be doing at this age. Mm -hmm. And this tells me that I need to buy 1000 toys for this child (laughs) and a crib that costs $600 and and all these other things that I need to Mm -hmm. get. And these are the hypervigilant moms. And Mm -hmm. even like, like our what we do is meeting the moms where they're at like you don't really need a lot of these toys you just and and sometimes five minutes is enough to be with your child or let's take it one step at time Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and even like we do a lot of I mean also studies had indicate that when moms fake it, right, even though they feel good, like they feel depressed, even if it's five minutes of being there for their child Mm -hmm. really is a lot helps with their social emotional development. So it's it's really it's hard because these moms with special needs, especially the the these when these babies grow and they have special needs or maybe diagnosed with autism, moms need to be on all the time mm. because these kids need a lot of help and engagement to really just participate. And yeah. it's so hard. It is so hard to be on all the time and just recognizing that and and meeting moms uh-huh. where they're at, like knowing what works, not knowing, okay, is what, does mm-hmm. this, this tragedy not work for your family? Then let's figure out something else. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That
0: That's a, a great point. So, right. So the moms or, or primary caregivers who are experiencing the depression where they're a little bit more disengaged, they don't all of a sudden have to be engaged all the time in order to impact Mm-hmm. And, and vice versa for parents who are a little bit more hypervigilant, right? Because the, it's it's really hard to pull apart or to, to suss out really like what what is impacting what. Although we do know that the where we can help, yes, we can help with the the feeding and occupational therapy is really helpful. But you're also bringing in this whole other aspect of support for the. For the child, so, and for the parents, rather, both.
2: Feel like you're the martyr in your family. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for unsticking it with Blair and Molly wherever you listen to podcasts. Starting in January, unsticking it with Blair and Molly because sometimes life sucks.
0: So, with all of the work that you've done and all the training you've had, and and what you've seen in in these systems that are broken, I really hear that you're you're trying to fix that in the ways that are possible. Sometimes working with the systems and to pull things together for these parents. Are are you seeing, I guess, a, a a difference between what you saw in like at the medical system versus what you're seeing in the clinic in terms of how much, how the support that you're providing
1: is helping the parents more? Yeah, I think being in the community is a lot impactful for at least the patients, the clients that we see, mm-hmm. just because we can connect them easily to community-based services. We can go into their homes and we could address other things and see things that might be helpful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and as a therapist now, my approach is not very prescriptive, right? Let's yeah. deal with what you have, right? And, and one, th- one, th- one thing that we're practicing right now is like bagless therapy. We don't bring a lot of toys. We don't bring toys to these homes because these parents may not, be able to afford these toys and I don't want them to feel bad for not having being able to afford the toys, right? So I work with what they have. Mm -hmm. So those are I I think that is the more impactful. I think the hospital setting is not very it's not the natural environment. So Mm -hmm. you know to some parents too, it is triggering to go Mm -hmm. back to the Mm -hmm. place where they were traumatized. Yep. Yeah I
0: do hear that for sure. That's a, such a great point. And also sometimes that's their only option. It's it's really hard if, if your only option is the option that also makes you feel worse, but that's like potentially useful for your baby.
1: That is the only option for most people because hospital outpatient clinics are the ones who take medical. Like the public insurance. Yeah. But Nurture Collective has been working with clients with Medical, and that's really the system that we're working in. 90 percent of our clientele are the ones who have public insurance. That's great.
0: That's and, and I as far as I understand, not typical
1: for, for outpatient clinics. Yeah, for private practice. Oh uh, yeah, private practice. Typical. Because it's not incentivizing. The reimbursement rates are not (laughs) promising. It doesn't incentivize private practices. Yeah.
0: So for parents who might be listening to this, who are having this struggle, who are in this struggle, what are some things that just off the bat that are are helpful for them when they're concerned about their child? They themselves are, are having their own struggle, what is something that you you tell that, that's kind of like low hanging fruit that's relatively easy for for them to do what kind of support do you offer them
1: yeah for for parents who are feeling that they need help and support i always say if you can't talk to your pediatrician about it or your provider about it go Look at the Postpartum Support International website and you can get support there for but for kids. If you have a child that you are suspecting that may have developmental delays and may need help, going into your early intervention system in, in your state, in California, it is provided by regional centers. So mm-hmm. Early Intervention is a federally funded and state implemented program that is provided under the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. And so mm-hmm. it's run by the state and it's free for most families of children from 0 to 3 years old to mm-hmm. prevent developmental delays so it's it doesn't cost anything go into your regional centers or early intervention system and say i i think my child needs help i should say that not all early intervention providers are trained in perinatal and infant mental health nor they do that practice model mm-hmm. so even just advocating that you need your help too and just Reading about that, but I mean that is the best way to start. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, thank you
0: for that resource and, and both of the resources. It's so important, and I'm we're all in perinatal mental health world. Big advocates of of helping people know that they're not alone, and the work that you're doing is not only helping people know that they're not alone, but giving them really solid tools for both them, their child and their dynamic together, as well as giving them some security uh, with all of the resources that you offer. So thank you so much for the work that you're doing and for being with us today.
1: Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity.
0: To learn more about the work that Apple and her team are doing, go to mynurturecollective.com. And for those of you who haven't yet subscribed to the podcast, please do. It's really important for the growth of the podcast so that other parents can more easily find this resource. The algorithms that B really love to know that people have subscribed. And certainly you can listen to the episodes that resonate to you or forward them on to other people who you think could benefit from them. I thank you so much for being with us. Until next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together, we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us at momandmind.com.
2: I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together, we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs)